1: Good to see everybody this morning. How many of you uh, plan to be here for first service, but you're here for second service? Let's go. Let's go. That's so awesome. That's okay. There's just as many of you that just, I just you just they just rode off church. They're like, I'm just not going to church this week. Hey, um, but we've got iPhones now. iPhones switch for us. So I don't, I don't even get it. Um, I do get it. I woke up. I did not want to wake up this morning. Uh, anybody else? You laid in bed and you're like, I just want to. Yep. Yeah. We've got coffee in the lobby if you want, uh, if you need extra coffee this morning. Uh, Hey, I just want to say I am thankful to be part of this church. My wife and I um, have the great pleasure of of leading this church, and you guys are amazing. Seriously, what an incredible church, people all getting involved in the things of God. Um, your church was able to send a a very significant, um, gift over to the refugee situation in Ukraine. Uh, and, um, that's all because of you guys. Like, like, it's just so cool. So cool. And, and, um, yeah, I, I just, I really enjoy it. And, uh, I'm, I'm a little off today because I'm about to tell an illustration that you probably haven't heard before and it's super, here's the deal. Um, confession is super good for the soul, super bad for the reputation. And um, first service I did, I, like, after the service, I was like, man, I just feel like this message wasn't very, like, fun. I like to have fun when I preach, okay, just so you know. And, um, and, and I was like, I, I just need to switch something up. And then I'm sitting in my office praying about, like, what to switch up, and my wife comes to the door, and she's like, "Hey, uh, just wait right there." And she kind of opens the door, and my sister that I haven't seen, and her husband I haven't seen them in like two, maybe three years they came through the door. Deb Willow, her name's Willow and Miles O'Brien. Would you guys there we go. Come on. <laughs> And I was like, it was like the Lord telling me you have a much better illustration about fear than you do, it's not about your knees. And so um, here's the story. So um, (laughs) I was, I, I was, Uh, I grew up in Southeast Alaska on an island, and in this island, let's go, let's go, I got some, I got some, here we go, (laughs) so, so I grew up on this island, and part of, like, island culture is you have to know how to swim, okay, Uh, like, in the school system, you learn to swim, or you don't graduate, because we have boats, like, there's only two ways to get to where I grew up, and that's uh, either by airplane or by boat, and, um, Unfortunately, I had ear trouble as a youngster and my parents, they they recognized when I was probably in kindergarten that I I would get my ears really close to them to be able to hear anything they had to say. And uh, they noticed this and then I went into the school. And the school would do these tests. They, they're like an occupational therapist had an office in the school with this little box room. And you'd go sit in the room and there would be a plexiglass wall between you and the, the therapist. And they would put these, uh, these earmuffs on you and they gave you a little, like a joystick with a button on the end. And they said, anytime you hear a beep, press the button. Anybody remember this? Okay, and so I was super good at this because I would, they would, they'd press the button and I would, or they'd say the noise and I'd press the button and they'd make noises in my left ears and I'd press the button, noises in my right ear and I'd press the button and I was so good at this because I could hear the faintest sounds and the loudest sounds and they'd do three in a row and so good at it that the rest of my friends all got to go back to class and I kept testing Multiple days in a row, they kept bringing me in to test me because I was so incredible at hearing things and pressing a button. Turns out I needed to have tubes, and uh, tubes are these little uh, tubes they put inside your eardrum to keep your eardrum open. The the problem was this— When your family doesn't have like a a large um, bank account, you you take the experimental tubes that have barbs on them to see if they work rather than the ones that, uh, that you would just pay for. So I got these experimental tubes put into my ears that had like barbs that kept them in my ears so that they wouldn't fall out. And we were told at the time that it would just be a couple of years and they would fall out. And so I got these tubes in my ears and it was like my early memories of that time were like the smell of pus coming out of the sides of my ears. Gross. It was gross, I know. But there's a point to all of this. There's a point. And why did I say that? That's so stupid. Okay, so. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And so so, these tubes that were supposed to fall out in just a couple of years uh, didn't fall out for year after year after year until I was 12 years old and my dad and my mom finally said, we're just going to have to pay a doctor to remove them surgically. And so they went in there with the surgery stuff and they surgerized and pulled these (laughs) permanent tubes out of my ears. And that was the first time in my life at 12 years old that I was allowed to finally go in a pool. Because, because... (laughs) <laughs> because I couldn't, I couldn't swim, I didn't know how to swim. And so uh, we, we were in this place, it's in, in northern Canada in the Yukon, where my sister is from. And my sister knew how to swim because she didn't have tubes. So she volunteered. She was going to teach me how to swim as a 12-year-old boy. And um, that summer, actually I was turning, probably turning 13 that summer, and uh, so quite quite a, uh, like a very dignified young man. And um, my sister took me to this lake. It's a man-made lake called Schwatka Lake. And the lake is, uh, it's quite uh, steep. So when you, when you go into the water, there's about four feet of, of ground that you can, your feet can touch the water or touch the ground. And then it just drops off like a cliff all the way around the lake. And of course being somebody that has never swimmed and my sister having never swam in that lake, she didn't know this, nor did I know this. And so she brings me out there and and so she has me hold my breath, make a big big chest full of air, and lean back into her arms, right? So she's gonna she's gonna show me how To float. And so I take this big breath full of air and I lean back into her arms and I'm out. And what she doesn't realize, and what I don't realize, is she's holding me over an underwater cliff, okay? (laughs) And as I'm starting to get confident, I feel like I'm I've really got this thing down. She removes her arms, and when she removes her arms, gravity has its way with me, and I start to go under. Water, And I'm expecting that I'm just going to touch bottom because my sister's standing on the water. And what I don't realize is I'm over a cliff. <laughs> and I just plummet down to the water and I start scrambling and, and scram- then just, just kind of like frantic panic. I, this, this absolute terror came over me. And I finally came to the surface of the water. When I got to the surface of the water, like my heart was beating. I, like I, I, I thought I was going to die. It was, it was crazy. And then I recognized that there was something additional inside of my shorts. And I figured that I could get rid of it without anybody knowing. And I stretched the elastic on my shorts and it floated next to my sister. In that moment, I knew what fear was like. Terror <laughs> it was the worst, the most embarrassing story that she has always threatened. I'm going to tell people. And now you can't tell anybody because I just told everybody. <laughs> what? <laughs> but the truth is, we, we all have real, real fears in our lives, don't we? Yeah. They, they may not be ridiculous, panic, terror, have problems in your pants when you're 13 years old with your family watching, but it, it was like, we all have, we all have fears, fears about going back to college. You, you're already in a, an established career. You're already an adult and you're ready to go back to college. And you don't know what that's going to be like, or, or fears that maybe you'll never find love again, or fears that maybe uh, your 401k that has plummeted over the last couple of weeks, it's going to continue to plummet and you'll work the rest of your life. We, we, We have genuine fears that grip us, that hold us back. And the the fifth sign of Jesus, or the fifth fifth miracle, it's really a sign in the book of John. The fifth sign talks about fear. It's the way that God deals with fear in our lives. The fear of, am I I, I ever going to be accepted? Am, Am I ever going to feel successful? Am I ever going to get beyond the loneliness? Am I ever going to kick this addiction and move on with my life? You see, the context of what's going to happen here, this is a a story where we, we often talk about Jesus walking on water, but really there's context to it. And the context is this. This story of Jesus walking on water is in three of the Gospels. And at the beginning of Matthew chapter 14, it tells us that Jesus' brother, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded. He was in prison and he was beheaded. And it goes straight from the story of Jesus dealing with the grief of his cousin dying, straight to Jesus saying, let's get on a boat and let's go find a desolate place to his disciples. Let's, let's go somewhere where we're alone. Has anybody ever felt like that? Like you felt like you just needed some space. Maybe you've dealt with grief and you know, what? I just I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anybody. I just want to get alone. And as he traveled to get alone, the Bible tells us that a crowd saw him coming. And the crowd gathers, and it's 5,000 men plus women and children that have gathered to hear Jesus. And Jesus, he's just compelled by their needs. Even though he's dealing with his need, he's compelled by their needs to minister to them. Did you know that even in your pain, even in your struggle, you can still make a difference in someone else's life? And so he, he feeds the 5,000. We talked about this last week. And then he gets back to his mission of getting alone. <laughs> he, he feeds the 5,000. And then Matthew and Mark tell us that he sends his disciples across the sea to Capernaum, which is where Jesus lived. And Jesus went up onto a mountain so that he could pray. John tells it a little different. John says it like this. He says, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he just fed 5,000 people, and the people realized this is a a miracle or a sign from God, and they're going to make him Caesar. They're going to make him a ruler, and Jesus says, this is not my purpose. I just want to tell you today, Jesus' agenda is actually not political, Jesus uses people in politics. Anytime that the Lord has a godly person in politics, the nation is blessed. But Jesus' particular agenda is not a political agenda. It's an agenda in the hearts of men and women. It's a kingdom of God. It's not a kingdom you can see. Not a kingdom you can touch. And it says this, that he perceived they were going to make him king, and Jesus withdrew... Again, so this is the second time he's trying to withdraw, and he, he goes up onto a mountain by himself. Now, we know he sends the disciples down to the, to the boat, and he goes to a mountain. And we, we know that there's, if you're in the Sea of Galilee, there's really only one spot that you would say, that's the mountain. If I was to use the word the mountain, it's this mountain. And the reason we would say it's this mountain is, in, in the context it says he's in the Sea of Galilee or the, the Sea of Tiberius. He's talking about the area of Tiberius. Now Tiberius is, is the only city on the Sea of Galilee that is still there today. It was there during the time of Jesus and it's still there. And it's just to the left. You can, it's, if this picture was another five inches deeper, you would see Tiberius is there on the left. And like Magdala, where where Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood, would be right at the bottom of this mountain, uh, just kind of in the valley between them. And it says he goes up on this mountain. This mountain is called Mount Arbel, and it's a, it's a large, uh, very visible mountain in the area of Galilee. From the top of this mountain, you can see the entire lake, all 17 miles north to south, all seven and a half miles east to west. You can see the entire thing from the top of this mountain. And this mountain has a lot of uh, historical significance. The Jewish people in their revolts against Rome actually hid in the, the cliffs. There's these cave houses that they, they dug into the sides of the mountain, and, and Rome built um, giant uh, scaffolding, and, and they repelled and they used scaffolding to, to chase the people out of the cliffs. It's a very important place in history. The Bible tells us that Jesus goes to the mountain and that's where he prays, is on the mountain. And his disciples, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and they got into a boat. And when we hear this, what does that really mean? Well, I think it's kind of cool, and this is just another weird Bible nerd thing I'm going to show you, is that we've actually discovered some. Uh, some archaeologic. Well, they weren't archaeologists. They were actually people that lived in a kibbutz. They they discovered uh, some nails sticking out of the mud, and they started digging around the nails in the mud, and they found wood. And what they discovered was a first century fishing boat. And it looks. This is actually the, the only first century boat. This boat is literally from the time of Jesus. It's it's not um, very seaworthy anymore. But it's interesting to see that it's it's a it's a boat. It's not a big boat. It's about 20 feet long, and it it doesn't seem to be uh, like like an open water type boat. But it's it's a good boat they built. And the Bible tells us that these disciples, when evening comes, they go down, and they get into the boat, and they start across the sea to Capernaum. Capernaum's on the very north end. Of the Sea of Galilee. And then one of the most interesting phrases in all of the Bible it says this It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. What a heavy statement. I don't know if you've experienced this in life, but you stick around long enough and you're going to experience seasons that are dark. Moments when you had expectations that are not met. When you have loved ones that you've prayed that they would be healed and they only seemed to grow worse. When you maybe even in your own marriage, you'd experience such deep loneliness. It seems like in the darkness, Jesus doesn't show up yet. Has anybody ever been there where it felt like, like it just felt like it got darker and darker and yet he still has not revealed himself. Perhaps the pressures of finances have made you emotionally numb towards your own family. And in that darkness, you wonder if there's hope and you wonder if there's some sort of redeeming value. Jesus hasn't shown up yet or maybe the anxiety that you've, you've dealt with for years just continually builds and you're wondering when Jesus will show up. Can I say one of the great things about our God? It's not that he is so great that nothing is too big for him. We serve a God that is so great that nothing is too small for him. What I'm saying is this, like your struggle with anxiety is not too insignificant for our God. The loss, the grief that you experience in your life, it's not too inconsequential for our God. He sees the loss, he sees the pain, and his heart is towards you. The Bible says that the, the sea becomes rough because a strong wind was blowing. So these disciples are out on the water and the winds begin to grow. And, and this is something, as, as a kid that grew up in southeast Alaska, I, I remember phrases growing up. You, we would say things like, Red at night, sailors delight, red in the morning, Sailor take warning. There's just this element about the sea. It doesn't matter how long you have been a person that's used to the water. It doesn't matter how good you are at running a boat. Waves can be terrifying. Yeah. Doesn't matter how large your boat is. Doesn't matter how, how competent you are. At the end of the day, the power of waves are something that, are, that is beyond your and my ability to handle. And even in this, the Sea of Galilee, there's, in 1992, there was a storm in the area that was 10-foot waves in this, this small lake. 10-foot waves that damaged the city of Tiberias. I'm just saying, like, it doesn't matter how competent you are living the Christian life. Doesn't matter how like how much great resolve you have of being a wonderful husband or, or being a, a very strong business person, when the waves of life show up, you lose all that competency for a moment. You lose all that grasp on reality, and life becomes hard. We've been married for 17 years, we're doing great. And then you hit some waves and suddenly you wonder how it is that after 17 years of a great marriage, why are we struggling? Because when waves show up, it doesn't matter how well you did during the calm water. Waves are something different. And I think what's so interesting about this passage is this. That Jesus is 100% God while also being 100% man. He's God-man, which means this: He knew the storm was coming, He knew He was sending His disciples into a storm. And if we're not careful, we can have a false belief, this, this false idea of being a Christian that, that as long as I trust God, as, as long as I put my hope in God, that life will be smooth sailing, that, that everything will be easy, that there will be no bumps, no disappointments, no struggles, that the great goal, the great crowning achievement of faith is favor and prosperity and blessing and an easy life and nothing out of place. And yet Jesus puts them out of place. Can I say that sometimes the storms in our life are directed by God? Now now certainly there are there are storms and there are struggles that we create, don't we? And there are struggles that are created by other people that we deal with the consequences of them. But there are also some seasons of life that may be difficult that God sends us into that season because God has a greater agenda than just a smooth life. We love love the idea that God adds to us. We love the idea that God builds in us. We, we love the favor. We love the blessing. We love God doing things for us. We love the miraculous. But can I say we also serve a God who prunes. We also serve a God who tests. We also serve a God who has bigger intention than just adding to our lives. Let me say it like this. There are things in your faith that can only be built through storm. There there are things that can only happen when you struggle financially. There are things that can only happen when your marriage is struggling and you fight through it. Like there are things that can only happen when you question and doubt God, but you stay put. It's like... um, Up in McCall, they do this snow sculptures. Anybody ever seen the snow sculptures? And they they, they get this big pile of snow, and then they start carving out the design of whatever the character is they're going to build in the snow. If it's a, maybe it's a, uh, a lion or something and they carve out this lion but then the lion doesn't have enough mane so they take more snow and they they add it to the mane and, and then they carve away from what they just added until they're finally complete they've added and subtracted from the snow to create a beautiful image it's it's like the classic story of Michelangelo he creates this ma- this monumental Sculpture called David. And when people asked him about it, he said, I, I simply removed every piece of stone that was not David. Can I tell you that the storms of life are not meant to ruin you. They're meant to refine you. Now, it's not God's purpose that he would confuse you, that he would destroy you. It's his purpose That he would refine you into the kind of man or woman that he's called you to be. Because God had a greater purpose for these disciples. He he needed the kind of men that could handle storms. He was about to send these guys out to go flip the world on its end. He needed the kind of men that had built trust and faith in him when it seems like all hope was lost. He needed the kind of men that that could tell the stories of a God that could rescue them in a storm so that they could pass those stories of faith on to a man named Paul so that while Paul was in the Adriatic Sea, Paul could recall the story. He hadn't experienced the favor of God in a storm, but he could recall the stories of a God that rescues in storms. And as he's in the middle of the Adriatic Sea, shipwrecked on Malta, Paul kept his resolve, kept his calm because some disciples in the middle of the Sea of Galilee experienced a storm. I'm just telling some moms and some dads right now, don't give up in the middle of the storm because there's some kids that need to hear about the goodness of God, the favor of God, even in the middle of a storm. Even when all hell's breaking loose, we serve a God that never fails. I'm saying there's some, you've struggled with your finances. You feel like you've never been able to get your finances up to a healthy place. I'm saying don't give up because you serve the kind of God that sees you. And one day you're gonna come along somebody that's struggling that says, God must not love me because I'm not making money. And you're gonna be able to come alongside them and say, no, the kingdom of God is not about money. It's about so much more than tangible things. We serve a God that sees us in the storm. And that's what, so Matthew and Mark, they say this. They say Jesus is on the mountain praying, and it says he he looks down to the sea, and he sees them struggling against the waves. That's impossible. He's he's on the top of Mount Arbel. They're Way in the middle of the lake, like he, he can't, like human eyes cannot see that far, especially in the dark. What's really going on here is we're seeing something about the character of Jesus. It's the same thing that we see earlier in the book of John when Jesus tells Nathanael, I saw you under a fig tree. What's going on is we're, we're discovering that Jesus sees, He doesn't have to be beside you to see you. That, that He actually understands the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. That He knows us when we feel like we're all alone in the middle of a storm. He knows us and He sees us. This is in the Old Testament it says that describes God as El Roy, the God who sees me. You don't serve some far off distant God that is unaware of the struggle you face. You don't serve some God that is just so removed he can't see the pains of your heart. You serve the God that sees me. Unfortunately, we live in a culture, a church culture, that only teaches the blessings and favor of God and anytime we hear the idea that God also reproves, rebukes, corrects, <laughs> anytime we hear that God addresses things or tells us to tweak things in our lives, what we say is something like, "Like I don't receive that word. <laughs> I don't receive that word. That's that word's for somebody else. It's not for me." But we have a God that uses the storms to make us who he can use. And so he's watching them and he's, he's up on the mountain and then it says this, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. This, just so you know, this is an impossibility. There's like the only way a human could walk on the water is if a human can run about 67 miles an hour. And Usain Bolt is at 27. So I don't think Jesus is like, I don't think Jesus is running on the water. He's walk- this is a miracle. He's walking on the water. Three and a half miles, it says, they've gone. Remember, it's 17 miles long, seven and a half miles wide. Three and a half miles puts them in the middle of nowhere. And Matthew and Mark, they they don't use distance to give this concept. They use something different. They say, when it was the fourth watch of the night, which means when it was between 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up in the darkest time of the night. Jesus shows up when they are farthest from safety. Jesus shows up when they're in the middle of nowhere. Jesus shows up when no one else is watching. I'm just telling somebody today, you feel as though you've just been doing your thing, plugging away, and the people at work don't know what you're dealing with, and the people in church don't know what you're dealing with, and there's very few people you feel like really see what's going on, and I want you to know that Jesus does his greatest work when no one else is watching. The signs of Jesus aren't about flashy miracles to impress people. It's really about finding the one, finding an individual, and pointing them toward the God that cares the God that sees the God that knows I'm just saying if, if you're a single mom and you feel like you don't have another ounce of energy to make it through the week you serve the kind of God that shows up when no one sees and when they see Jesus walking on the water <laughs> they are frightened which, which I, I, I kind of get that Because it's not something our eyes would normally see. Not something our eyes would normally respond to. These are seasoned fishermen. It doesn't matter how long they've been fishing, a wild storm is scary. And they are probably, you know, repenting of past girlfriends and, like, asking God to, like, save them. And, like, like oh, God, if, you, if you'll save us from this storm, I'll, I'll live for you the rest of my life. Like, all of that stuff. And then Jesus shows up, and they're terrified. If you thought God showing up in the middle of your dark season was going to be a warm Snuggie, You might be wrong. Because sometimes God revealing Himself, even in the middle of our storms, can be a little unsettling. In fact, I would say this when we look through our scripture, just about every single time someone has an encounter with an angel, with a theophany, which is like a manifestation of God, or like has a spiritual moment. They're scared and they're they're being told, do not fear. I would say if if your faith has never had that moment of awe and dread before a holy God, I would say there's more room for you to grow. He says, It's it's I. Don't be afraid. He, he, He says, Don't be afraid, but he attaches it to. A reason. Don't be afraid because it is I. In Greek, he's saying egoimi, which may not mean anything to us, but what it meant to these Jewish boys was he was identifying with the very God that met Moses before a burning bush. In, in Exodus chapter 3, when God is speaking to Moses, he says, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people that I am has sent you. So when Jesus sees them in the middle of their storm, his answer is, he just says, I am, therefore don't be afraid. I, I am the solution to whatever situation is going on in your life. Therefore, you can have peace in the middle of the storm. Jesus is telling them something about his character. And they may not recognize it yet, but he's telling them, I am the God that formed all that you see. I'm the God that was here before the earth existed. In fact, earlier in the book of John, he says he is the word of God. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, and in him was life, and the life was the light of of men, and the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not, and, and the word became and it dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. What's going on in this moment is Jesus is saying, you don't have to fear in the middle of your storm because I'm the word of God. I'm the spoken word. Like I am, I'm the very essence of God. I am God revealed in human flesh. I am all that is God is in front of you right now. I'm telling somebody, you may be in the middle of a dark storm, feeling like you're far from safety, but you serve a God who shows himself true in the middle of the darkest nights. When the waves were raging around them, the word of God was walking towards them. And you may still be in your storm right now. And you may still be in a dark season right now, wondering when it will end. And Jesus may not have revealed himself to you yet. But when he does, invite him into your boat. As the band would come, it says this in verse 21, that then they were glad to take him into the boat And immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. They, in this moment, they, all they had was a word from Jesus. The word from Jesus was this, do not be afraid. And it's easy to say like, that's easy to say, Jesus. How do I do it? But there's something different that happens when you have a word from God that you can put in the bank. Like we have the written word of God. And the scripture tells us that, moreover, we have a more sure word of prophecy. It's the written word of God. You need to know direction in life, the written word of God. But there's also another thing you may have heard around Christian people, and it's I've got a word from God. I've got a word from the Lord and you're like, what in the world does that mean? What it means is, I I believe God has spoken a word into my spirit, and it could be a word like, do not fear, because what these disciples needed was just a word from God, just do not fear, don't be afraid, and I can Cash that. I can rely on that. I can lean into that knowing that he, when he says something like this, it's true. Maybe you're here today and you're wondering like, what, what, what would a word be for me? Maybe for you, it could be the words of Jesus when he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That's a word from God. I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother. When others have betrayed you, when your own family has removed themselves from you, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Maybe you feel like you don't have purpose or direction in your life. Know that there's a word from God that says, I have plans for you. Not plans to do harm, but plans to do good through you, to prosper you, to give you hope, to give you a future. Maybe you feel unseen, overlooked, unknown, undervalued. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord. Are scanning the earth to and fro, looking for those to whom He will show himself strong on their behalf. I'm just saying, sometimes in the middle of the storm, all we need is a word from God. They get this word and then they they let him into their boat, and this is where the sign actually happens. Jesus walks on water, but this is the difference in the book of John, where he shows us the actual sign. The sign is this. They let Jesus into the boat, and immediately the boat is at its destination. The other gospels record that the waves stop. John says a second miracle happens they're in their destination. Jesus is showing them that it, it doesn't matter like the struggles of life as long as you keep paddling as long as you keep fighting and as long as you keep thinking that as long as I pull myself up by my bootstraps as, as long as I just keep efforting it harder as long as I keep struggling making this thing I'm just going to make this thing you can do that all night long. But when Jesus shows up, the efforting stops. You can try to effort your way into the kingdom of God, think I'm just gonna be a really good wife. I'm just gonna be the most amazing employee. And that's how I'm gonna show that I'm a good person before God. But I'm telling you this, the gospel is not that you would somehow prove through your striving, through your fighting the waves that you somehow got what it takes gospel is that when Jesus gets in your boat you don't have to do anything he'll take you to your destination it's like this the bible says that he which began a good work in you he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ not you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ he will So perhaps you've been away from the Lord for a long time and you're just thinking, it's time for me to get my act together. It's time for me to put away them cigarettes. Whatever it is, you're missing the point if you think that to get right with Jesus, you've got to push your paddle harder. The way we get right with him is we invite him into the boat. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your paths straight. I'm just telling maybe a married couple you've been you've been wrestling, you've been fighting You've been just hanging on by a thread, it's time to say, Jesus, we want you in the boat. Maybe someone, you've stepped out and started a business and you, you just feel like you, you are working more hours and dealing with more stress than you ever dealt with under that difficult boss. It's time to bring Jesus into the boat. You've been overcoming addiction by being disciplined, by being efforted, by making sure you attend all the classes. Keep going to your classes, but bring Jesus into the boat. Would you stand with me across the room? Feel like this was for you. You feel like you've been you've been fighting against the waves in the dark, unseen. Sometimes it feels like Jesus has not showed Himself yet. If that's you, would you, you just give me a hand? It doesn't have to be so. Everybody sees it. I just want. Come on, that's good. I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Listen. No one else knows the struggle like you know it. But I want you to know that you came today. You showed up here today so God could give you a word. Do not be afraid. Would you raise your hands all across the room? I just want to pray, especially over those that are struggling right now. Lord Jesus, you are the author and you are the finisher of our faith. The courses of our life are not determined by our own agenda and our own energy and our strength. God, you have a plan and a purpose. Lord, your word says that you work all things out for good to those that love you and are called according to your purpose. So right now, I pray for that man, that woman in this room right now that that feels like they've been Rowing against the waves. It feels like life has not given them a break. God, I pray right now that you'd reveal yourself in the middle of their boats. God, I pray with that man that's been, been trying so hard to get better, to, to be a better person and it doesn't seem to work. I pray right now, Lord, that your grace, that your mercy would flood his soul. That he would be marked by you Not by self-discipline, marked by purpose. In the name of Jesus. I wonder, maybe you're in the room today and for you, you just feel like where you need to be is you, you just need to get right with God. I just need Jesus in my boat I've been doing this a long time without him I need him in my life if that's you and you're ready to throw in the towel of doing your own thing and you're ready to follow Jesus would you put a hand up so I can see you come on, I see some bold hands, yes come on, yes bold hands, love it Here's what we're going to do. This is is not cliche. And this is not just a casual thing. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to repent and we're going to believe. Repent means we're going to turn away from the things we think, we do, and we say that we know displease God. Then we're going to believe in, we're going to put all of our hope in the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And when we do this, the blood of the Son cleanses us from all sin, and he pulls us into a conversation with God, a relationship with God. Are you ready to do that right now? If you just put up a bold hand, I want to pray with you. I want you to join me as we repent, so we're going to walk away from the things that don't please God, and as we believe in the death, the burial, Resurrection. Pray something like this God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. I'm turning away from them right now. Would you forgive me? I believe that Jesus died. That he was buried. That he rose again on the third day. Right now, right here and right now, I'm putting all of my faith and all of my hope in him. Say these words, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. And I will follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family. There's there's some people that just made the biggest decision of their life. Come on, that's good. Drove a stake in the ground for real transformation and change. This is just the beginning, just the start. I would say this. Maybe there's somebody here today that for you, you're, you're ready for your life to make a difference. You've been living for God, but you're ready for it to make a difference. (laughs) That can look like a lot of things. And I'm just gonna share one example of what it could look like. That is that we're, we're about to go to three services. And one of the ways that we collectively leverage our lives is when we as the body of Christ come together and do whatever we can do to draw somebody closer to Jesus. So if this is your church home and you're not serving, I just really want to encourage you. Get on the team. Get on the team. Come serve. We have crash course. The second half of crash course is right after this. It's going to be the short It's the short part of crash course. And if perhaps you don't feel like you have enough time to, to get on crash course, Derek, would you just pump your hand up in the air? You need to come talk to this guy. If you're like, I want to serve, I want to get involved, but I, I don't have time to go through crash course right now, you need to talk to Derek. He can get you there. Is that all right? Let's
0: respond to the Lord in worship. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.